Good morning, my name is Clay. And yes, Jane, I do like Acts chapter 2. <laughs> it's a very concentrated piece of scripture. The Lord squeezed quite a bit in there. And uh, we're going to squeeze a bit out of it again this morning. I've been, uh, I've been sharing on the, Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 42 to uh, 47 over, well, I think it's week 9 today. And the reason why I have been spending so much time in this, in this piece of scripture is that in here we see the church, the bride of Christ, the way it was supposed to be, the way God intended. It is full of the Holy Spirit and all of the things that God would see us do are packed in there. And as we, the rock, seek to be and move to, to be the church that God is calling us to, this is the template that we want to work towards to emulate. Uh, I've only got a, a couple more things to share on this. And, um, in fact, I think next week maybe will be our last week on this. <laughs> okay, maybe if you will, we'll see. But um, it's an interesting one this morning. And, um, and Lord, I pray that as, as we do get into this, I pray, Lord, that your truth and accuracy in your truth, Lord, is what we'd walk away with and nothing else. And I pray, Lord, that, um, that we would find the right balance and that your spirit would be our teacher now in Jesus' name. Uh, please turn with me, if you haven't already, to Acts chapter 2. Mm. It's good. It's a good word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, friends. A church that is filled with awe at the Lord and the works of his hand, his miracles. Awe is a word that's been pretty much ruined for us. Because everything's awesome, isn't it? Everything is awesome. That's awesome, bro. I say that all the time. And because it has become such a common part of, of our language, my language, I don't speak particularly good English. So, uh, so awesome just gets into everything. And the power of the word is lost. And that's unfortunate because the word carries a meaning which, in Scripture which really can only be applied to God. But we use it for everything. And so when, uh, when a word like awe is dropped into Acts chapter 2 here, uh, we could be you know, forgiven for not actually understanding really what it means. Fear, dread, terror. Not particularly nice words, are they? These are words that we associate with terrorism and horror movies. But they are not words we tend to use when we talk about God. We like nice words like loving and gentle and kind and baby Jesus, comforter and Abba Father. These are the kind of words we like to associate with uh, God. And all of these names uh, and uh, adjectives are, well, they're, they're biblically accurate, uh, but they don't exhaustively define who our God really is. 
they are one part of his character, one of the ways that he has revealed himself to us. But there is so, so much more. And to, to know God and to continue to, to grow in our relationship with him, we need to see as much of him as we can and know more and more of the fuller picture of God. So though we might not like to think of God in terms that are not altogether safe, warm and cuddly, the Bible uses some very hard out words to describe him too. And in grasping the meaning of these words, we get to know him deeper, we get to know him more accurately, and we come to a more appropriate balance as we look to engage with him. When we read in Acts that everyone was filled with awe, the Greek word rendered awe there is phobos. Uh, now phobos is a word we're familiar with in another form. Phobos is where we get phobia from. Phobia. The most uh, common uh, translation of phobos in scripture is fear. Fear, which is of course what phobia means. In the Hebrew of the Old Testament, the equivalent words are yirah and pachad, and God's people throughout Scripture were constantly called to fear God. Now, you don't often hear us talking about that. We tend to talk about loving God, and our songs mostly talk about loving God, and that sounds nice. We want to do that, don't we? We want to love God. That sounds nice and warm and cuddly. The concept of fearing God, though, what, is, what does that even mean? And why would I want to fear God? Why would I want to fear my heavenly Father? Who do you fear? What kind of father would you be scared of? You'd be scared of an abusive father, wouldn't you? And maybe, if you, maybe some of you come from an ab- abusive uh, family background. And the idea of, of fearing your father is something which well, that brings up the most terrifying thoughts and and memories. Is that really the way that God wants us to think of him? No. No. We are not called to be afraid and scared of an abusive, tyrannical destroyer. But we are called to be reverent and respectful of a powerful and loving creator. I've, as I've been meditating on these things, come to, to see a, a likeness in fearing God with, with fearing some of the more powerful forces of nature. Uh, I don't think that we need to be uh, scared of, of electricity or fire or the sea, the ocean. But if we don't have an appropriate respect for those things, we will get burned, we will get electrocuted, we will, get, we will drown. But if we have the appropriate respect for these things, for their, for their power, for their nature, they will warm us, they will feed us, they will give us energy to power uh, our lives. But we need to appro- um, approach them with the appropriate respect. Of course, that comparison only goes so far because God is so much more than an impersonal force of nature. He is the creator of these forces and the source of their power. And he is an intelligent and loving being with whom 
we can have an intimate relationship. And herein lies the tension. The tension here is finding a balance between respect and intimacy. And it's a tough one in this day and age, in the society that we live in. Respect is something that has been largely lost. Respect for authority, children having respect for their parents, for their teachers, us having respect for the authorities above us, for our government, for our bosses, our employers. Respect in this society, where is it? This nation was formed out of running away from authority. As people immigrated from all over the world to the bottom of the world to find a place where they could do their own thing. And the pioneering spirit here, still loud and proud, we want to do things our way. New Zealand's very anti-authoritarian. We don't like being told what to do. Whenever someone starts to reach up above us, we like to pull them down. So it's a level playing field and we're all on the same level. You understand it's not a biblical concept, right? That authority is given from God. God establishes authority. And learning to respect that and living under that is part of what it means to live under God's authority as he delegates his authority through government leaders and through church leaders. So what do we really know about respect? It's like we have to learn it from scratch. And (laughs) I'm learning this the hard way as I try to teach my daughters to respect me. I think they love me, but the idea of doing what God, what Dad says, that's, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to get that. A few, a few weeks ago, we had uh, Martin Steele, a, a pastor from Auckland, very good teacher, was down here speaking with uh, some of our leaders. And he was speaking on sonship and the intimacy that we have uh, with God through our relationship as, as sons and daughters. And he shared uh, a very interesting analogy uh, that we could learn from, and that was of the President of the United States and his son. And he wanted to to, to explain how uh, Barack Obama's children have uh, access and intimacy uh, with their father uh, that no one else on the planet has. They could run into the Oval Office pretty much whenever they wanted and jump up onto the lap of the most powerful man on the planet uh, and their little kids. They could do that, and that would be a fine. That would be okay. They have intimacy and access like no one else. No members of the American cabinet, Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, the, the most uh, powerful generals and admirals, none of them, despite their authority, could have that kind of access to the president. They couldn't just barge into his office and jump up on his lap be really funny, but, but they don't have that kind of uh, access and intimacy. And Martin went on to share how we need to recognise the relationship we have with God and that that is what we have. We are sons and daughters who could just run up and jump on his lap. And I thought that was a very interesting analogy and I certainly took Martin's point on, uh, on the intimacy. But I thought the illustration fell flat on the point that a young child has no sense of the father's power or authority. And a child can often be disrespectful and ingrate because they have no perspective on who their father really is. He's just dad. So a son of the president would treat uh, 
his father the same as the son of a plumber or anyone else. Uh, who the father is has no bearing whatsoever on their relationship. And I thought, well, that's not really the same as us and God, is it? Is our relationship with God and the way we engage with him the same as it would be as we engage with our earthly father? No sense of awe, no sense of respect. It's just dad. Just daddy. Because as I read through scripture, I don't see that being the way that God's people, those that knew him well, actually engaged with him at all. Our heavenly father is not just dad. He is also Lord God Almighty, creator of the universe, commander of the heavenly host, the Alpha and Omega. This often seems lost on us because the pendulum has swung so far to the other side. And we've taken Abba Father, an intimate rendering of, of Father, to be licensed just to treat him as, you know, just whatever. Those that we read about in Scripture who seem to have an incredibly close relationship with God, Abraham, Moses, David, they treated him with the utmost respect. They seem to know what it means to fear God. Moses had to remove his sandals before approaching the presence of God in the burning bush. And when he asked God to reveal his glory, God had to put, them, put him in the cleft of a rock and cover him with his hand as he walked by. Because unshielded, the glory of God would kill him. Do you have any sense of that at all? We sing a lot about, you know, the presence of God and, you know, show me your your glory. We haven't got a song that sings that, show me your glory. If he did, we'd die. We'd be dead. Do you have much of a sense of that? See, the God that we sing to, his presence wouldn't kill us. It would feel nice and warm, like little tingles on our body. That's the idea I think we have. And that's what we sing for. Give me that little tingle feeling, Lord, because that's your glory, right? Approaching God was a very serious business. In Leviticus 16, we read there what was involved for the high priest to approach the presence of God. The presence of God was was manifested in this time uh, in a mobile temple called the Tabernacle. Maybe something like that. And uh, this is where God's presence hovered while the nation was not uh, moving. And when the nation was on the move around the wilderness, the presence of God would go before them to lead the way. But uh, once a year, the high priest could enter the, uh, the place where God's uh, presence dwelled, the most holy place at, at the back of the tabernacle. But it had to be only the high priest, and it could only be once a year. Uh, Leviticus 16, verse 1. This is what was involved. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron uh, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments. So he must uh, bathe himself with water before he puts them on. 
These are all the things that the high priest must do to sanctify himself, to cleanse himself before he entered God's presence. And if he did not take care of these regulations to uh, cleanse himself spiritually before he went in, the presence of God would kill him. That's how holy God is. That's how full-on God is. There's no little tingle warm feelings there. Now, that was the requirement under the Old Covenant, under the law. Hebrews 10 tells us that through the blood of Jesus, we can now confidently enter the most holy place, meaning we can confidently enter the presence of God, that, God, that Jesus himself makes us clean uh, before the Lord. Uh, so we have unrestricted intimacy with God now. But the same chapter of Scripture also tells us that we must give up our sinful ways or fear, phobos, judgment. And even says in verse 31, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Are we talking about the same God here? It's not a warm and cuddly verse at all. The balance to that, of course, is that God's hands are also loving and healing and they provide and they save and they protect. But the command to fear God is thoroughly reinforced throughout Scripture. Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. 1 Peter 2:17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love your fellow believers. Fear God. Revelation 14, 6-7. Then I saw another angel flying in mid-air, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. There is verse after verse after verse after verse, all through Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and right throughout the Old Testament, and then into the New as well, saying the same thing. We are called to fear God. But somehow this command, this teaching, has uh, it's been lost to us. What has changed? Is God less worthy now than he once was? Is he less awesome now because Jesus walked the earth? Is he less now because he put on skin and walked among us so that now we just see him as, oh, he's just one of us. He's just one of us. Jesus was one of us. So I can just engage with him just as if he's one of us. Is that what, ha- is that what happened with us? We need to grasp the reality that God is not one of us. Thank the Lord that he is so much more than just one of us. Because he put on skin and walked the earth, he knows, he gets it. He suffered everything that we've suffered, but the whole time he was Lord God Almighty. We need to grasp that reality. And that truth should inform the way that we engage with him. Because otherwise, familiarity breeds contempt. That's not scripture, that's Aesop's fables. Uh, but we see that playing, um, playing through in this. Jesus found this issue with his own people. Matthew chapter 13, do you want to turn there with me? 
Matthew 13, Jesus goes home. He preached up a storm in Jerusalem at the temple. And people were just amazed at his wise teachings. He'd been performing miracles everywhere. He goes back home to Nazareth. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. And coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in their own towns and in their own homes are prophets without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. The people of Nazareth thought they really knew Jesus. And from their familiarity with him, they could find nothing but contempt for the idea that he was something more than just a man, that he was the Messiah. Having grown up with Jesus, they had relationship with the man, but had no sense of the divine, that he was also Almighty God. Intimacy without revelation of God's authority, holiness and sovereignty can lead to a lack of respect. Maybe not to the extreme of Jesus' neighbors in Nazareth, but certainly not according God the respect that he deserves. Instead of finding faith and respect in Nazareth, Jesus found disbelief and scorn. And so there were no miracles, or very few. What would he find if he came in here one Sunday? Still, this concept of of fearing God is a stumbling block for us because what does that mean? I don't think many of us would want a relationship with God where we're scared of him. Is that what it really means? I I just want to go through a number of scriptures here from which we can glean a sense of, of what it means to fear God. Proverbs chapter 2, 1 to 5. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Knowing God, having a fuller knowledge of him, leads us to a fear of, of him. Okay. Joshua 4:24. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So when we when we see God work and see how powerful he is, we come to have a fear of him. All right. Exodus 20:20. 20, 20. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will keep you from sinning. When we have a fear of God, that keeps us from, from sinning. Deuteronomy 6.2 Fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. So if I keep the commands of the Lord, this is fearing God. Ephesians 5.21 
submit to uh, another out of reverence for Christ. The word reverence is phobos, fear. Submit to one another. When we submit to each other and put ourselves under each other here, this is an expression of our fear of God. Ephesians 6.5 Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Now we could read this here as, as those in authority over us. People, respect and serve your employers, your bosses, those in authority, your teachers. Obey them with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. So fearing God can be expressed through the way that we submit to authority. Philippians 2.12 Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There is a sense here as we continue working out our salvation, this is about continuing to draw closer to Christ and being sanctified, being made holy. So yes, we are saved. The blood of Jesus has secured our eternity. But Jesus is not just going to leave it there. His plan is to draw us closer to himself and make us into the people of God that he's always called us to be. And that is a process involving fear and trembling or submitting ourselves, uh, respecting him, living in, res- in a respectful manner. 1 Peter 1.17 Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Reverent fear. We live in a way that honors him, that respects him. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence, phobos, for God. The way we live, the attitude of our mind and hearts, these things demonstrate a fear of God. It is not being about being scared that if I don't do this, God's going to do something bad to me. None of these scriptures are saying that at all. It is clear throughout scripture that the fear of God starts as an understanding of who God is. And I think we forget this because somehow we get more of a Sunday school understanding of, of, of who God is and the way he works. What I mean by a Sunday school understanding is that you go there and next door and grab any of the, the books you, you have there, children's Bibles, you flick through and it presents an interesting picture of who God is. The story of Noah, for example. I know this so well because Shawnee loves Noah and so we do Noah most days. And Noah is, in a children's Bible, uh, and a lot of our understanding, a lovely story about animals. It's kind of like a zoo on a boat. And the kids love it. Oh. And that's the idea we get. That the story of Noah is about God saving animals and two by two and these nice pictures. Uh, we kind of skip over the bit where the entire inhabitants of the earth are destroyed in judgment. Uh, Drowning, we kind of leave out of the story of, of Noah. And you don't really see people kind of floating and woo in, in the pictures. Yeah, I don't want to fill, I don't want to fill Sean and Bree's head with, with that right now. But I want them to grow up. I want their, their, their spiritual life to grow up. 
I don't want them, you know, when they're my age or, you know, in their teens to have the same picture and understanding of God as from the children's Bible. They need to grow up and get an older Bible and get an older, more mature understanding of who God is. And as we mature emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, we can handle, we can understand judgment. We can understand holiness. We can understand that everything's not warm and cuddly. We need to break free from those pictures of God. Because he is so much bigger than that. Because if we don't, the way we engage with God is exactly the same way that we did when we were a child. Now, God likes the way that children approach him in terms of their faith. They just believe. They just believe. He wants that. But he also wants us to act maturely. And this is what Apostle Paul talks about. We're drinking milk still when we should have moved on to solid food. Our understanding of who God is needs to grow. The revelation shapes us. This understanding shapes us and gives us a respectful and reverent attitude. And that reverent, appropriate attitude is expressed in the way we live, in the way we engage with him, in a lifestyle of humble obedience. In Acts chapter 2, we read of a community of faith filled with reverent awe of a powerful God who anointed his apostles to perform the most amazing signs and wonders. The sick were healed, the dead were raised, demons were cast out, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Fear, awe, respect, whatever you call it, how do we engage with God here at the Rock? How do we engage with him in our prayer life, in our personal relationship? Have we lost touch with who he is and what he does? In the familiarity of our relationship, have we lost our ability to marvel at him? Because he's just our friend. Is God becoming a little smaller in our eyes each year simply through our regular, casual acquaintance with him? These are questions that I, I want you to, to ponder this week. In your devotional life, in your, in your prayer time, in your engagement with him, I want you to ponder these things and ask him these questions. Because the, the, the truth is you do have intimacy. You do have access. He does want to talk these things through with you. But we need to ask him this week, have we strayed from an understanding of who he is? Has the pendulum gone too far the other way? That we've forgotten his authority, forgotten his power, forgotten his holiness, and treat him just as if he was one of us. Because sure, he is your best friend. But he's not like your other best friends. God is great, friends. He is so great. And I, for one, have forgotten how great he really is. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would remind us.
I pray, Lord God, you would continue to reveal to us who you are. And I pray that we would find truth here and accuracy and the balance, that you'd help us to find the balance of intimacy, that you said we can call you friend and you love us and you are our father and you have ripped down every barrier so that we can have access and intimacy with you. But in that also, we would be able to give you the honour that you are due. I pray you'd continue to reveal to us what it means to fear God and how we can live that fear out and that we'd be able to reclaim the word fear and awe and awesome and use them with you the way they should be. I pray, Lord, that this, this devotional journey would draw us closer to you, that you would make this place, the Rock Church, a place that reveres and honors our God, a place that is filled with your signs and wonders as we marvel at you and what you can do. Lord, I pray for us all now the same prayer that that Moses prayed. That you would show us your glory as much as we can take. Show us just how full on, how powerful you are. In Jesus' name, amen.